you've heard me um, talk a little bit about the song that Kenny Chesney sang, went like this. I turned on the evening news, saw an old man being interviewed, turning 102 today. Ask him what's the secret to life. He looked up from his old pipe, laughed and said, all I can say is, don't blink. Just like that, you're six years old and you take a nap and you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing old like mine did, turning into moms and dads. Next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend. A hundred years goes faster than you think. Don't blink. No, don't blink. Life goes faster than you think. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard for me to get my head around this new um, this new place in life, uh, season in life. I, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm very thankful for the years God has given me, and. Um, I think that uh, I look back on those years uh, with great fondness, but I realize that now I'm a bona fide card-carrying member of the senior adult community. I, I have a few things that I would just share with you this morning, kind of some of the lessons I've learned over these 47 years in ministry. The first one is this, life is fragile handle with care. In James chapter four, we read, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, when James wrote this letter, he was appealing to something that they were very familiar with. Most of you know that, uh, that uh, they would have traveled to other cities to uh, go to the marketplaces. In fact, Paul was known as a tent maker. When he would go into a city, he would ask, where are the tent makers? And he would go, go to that area of the city and hook up with some kind of fa a family there and work with them, live with them, minister to them and minister to the city. I don't think that that's what James is, is talking about here. I think James is trying to drive home the point that life is fragile and we should handle it with care. He says in verse 14, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. <laughs> when I first read that passage, it has a shock value to it. You know, you look at that and you just realize that, that, that life is brief, really, when you think about it in terms of eternity. And uh, I think he's trying to say to us that what we do while we are living should be centered on God's will for our lives. In verse 15, he said, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. 
Uh, Jesus taught us to depend on God and his care for us. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says we should not worry about the basic necessities of life, what you eat, drink, or wear. He asked, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Then he teaches us how we should live. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. <laughs> Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think what Jesus is saying to us, that what we have is today. We don't have tomorrow. There is no promise for tomorrow. What we have is today. My great-grandfather, Evie, lived with my grandparents in his later years. He lived up into his 90s. He was, a, he was a man about five foot two, had a beard. He would always come to the breakfast table late. And nobody started eating until little grandpa got to the table. When he got to the table, he would sit there and make this proclamation. Today is the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then the prayer would be said, and the biscuits and gravy and grits would be passed. Um, then he would get up from the table and go down to the city square there in Fort Lauderdale, where the buses kind of exchanged. And he would sit on a park bench, and through the morning, he would witness to people about his love for Christ and how he died for each and every person that they might know forgiveness. This is the day we have. We're not promised tomorrow. This is the day. So live today to its fullest and be thankful for what you have. Life is fragile. Handle it with care by trusting completely in God's design and will for your life. Most of us know that we've had colleagues that didn't reach it to the age of 70. And um, they're gone and in heaven today. And it drives home the, the fact that none of us know about tomorrow. This is the day we have. Handle it with care. Second, life is eternal. Handle it with conviction. To live life with conviction, conviction is to recognize our need for salvation and that Jesus Christ is our Savior. To live with conviction is to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible teaches us that spiritual conformity to Christ's likeness is the goal of our salvation. Paul writes in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We know that full conformity to Christ can come about only by continuing in the way of Christ. And that takes conviction. It takes great conviction. Uh, in my lifetime, there has never been a more challenging time to live with conviction. 
the attacks on biblical orthodoxy undermine the truth found in God's word. And it can be confusing. What the Bible teaches as righteous is considered intolerance. What the Bible teaches as right is now considered wrong. As Cal Thomas recently wrote, what defines true and right in 2021 when just about everything that was considered true and right for millennia is now considered outdated? So in a day in like we find ourselves living in, we must trust God's word to guide us into eternal truth. The psalmist wrote, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I remember when we first moved to Colorado Springs, uh, Cheryl, I think she was trying to find, uh, uh, what's the mall up north? Ch Chapel Hills. She was trying to find Chapel Hills. And uh, she called me. She was, she was lost. She was confused. And I said, honey, which way are you? Where are you? She told me. I said, which way are you going on Academy? Are you going north? Or are you going south? There was this pause. She said, I don't know. I said, well, look out the driver's side of the wind car and tell me what side of the car you see the mountain on. And she said, well, the, the mountain is on my left. I said, you're going north. Keep going north. You see, that, that mountain was a marker. It, it was a point of guidance, it, and, and the mountain wasn't going to move. I mean, she could have said, well, I don't care if the mountain's on my left. I'm going south. Well, it, that's, that's not the way it worked. The mountain was her guide. It was a rock. It was unmovable. And we know that the word of God is our rock. It's what we depend upon. And in a, in a day and age in which we live, that, that there, is, there are all kinds of forces outside the church and inside the church uh, disrupting uh, the, the word of God in, in ways that I haven't seen in my lifetime, even in the church, uh, where we have believed truth to be truth for hundreds if not thousands of years is now being challenged i would just tell you that it'll pass but the word of god will not pass use that as your marker life is eternal life is eternal handle it with commitment then the last thing i would say to you is life is remembered i meant to say conviction handle it with conviction life is remembered handle it with commitment psalms 112 says praise the lord blessed is the man who fears the lord who finds great delight in his commands surely he will never be shaken a righteous man will be remembered forever the psalmist is saying that our lives will be remembered and what kind of type of memories are we creating what, what are we giving ourselves to? 
that's what we'll be remembered for. You know, as I, as I reflect on my life, I, I want to re be remembered as a person of faith. Someone that trusted God, that believed in God, that followed God. I, I, I want to be remembered as a person of faith. I also want to be remembered as a person who loved and cared for their family. Um, I think a few weeks ago, it was hot. It was 90 degrees. And our, our grandsons had soccer games that day. Now, if you've been to a soccer game uh, around here, there's, there's no shade. You sit out in the sun, normally on uh, artificial turf, which makes it even hotter. I thought it was too hot to go. My wife didn't. So we went out and we watched four soccer games on that day, sitting in the hot sun. And I thought to myself, why did my wife want to do that? She wouldn't watch five minutes of a soccer game on TV. Why would she sit out in that heat? Why do you think she set out in that heat? Because her grandkids were playing. Family. Family is so important. And really, when it's all said and done, you'll be remembered most by your family. How you treated them. How they ranked in your life. Life will be remembered for your faith and for your family, and then your friends. You know, one of the great privileges I've had through the years that at, in pastorate or at the college is developing friendships. I'm so thankful for the friends that I've made through the years. Um, in fact, uh, we were just in Westchester, which was my last church that I pastored, and that was 20 years ago that we left. And we, we stayed with people who are lifelong friends. It, it, they're like family to us. And cultivating that type of friendship, um, you'll be remembered for that. We've made friends here at NBC, both the students and the people I've been privileged to work with these years, um, not just colleagues, but friends. I think, now I don't know how you folks felt, but I always enjoyed your company. Just sitting down talking with you, sharing a meal together. Those are things that I will remember till the, till the day I'm called home. I'll, be, I'll remember those talks around food and those talks, Dr. King, in your office where I would come and sit and just have a little chat and, and uh, cultivating that friendship. Jim, you and I talking about Tennessee. I mean, we're the only ones in that campus that shared that commonality, right? Those are the things that, that really I will remember and count as a privilege. C.T. Studd was a a British evangelist and missionary in the late 1800s and early 1900s. 
He worked with Hudson Taylor in China and also served in India and Africa. Of his missionary work, he said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He was a man committed to telling the great story of salvation. But he's most noted for the poem that he wrote. A section of that poem goes like this. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I would say to you, what you're doing each and every day is Christ work. It's not just NBC work. You're working with men and women who have been called by God to serve God in various places, various ways. I trust you will always take that seriously and always know that that person on the other end of the phone or the other end of the computer they are people that God has chosen to serve him. And what a blessing we have to work in each and every one of them. And I, I want to thank you for the times that we've had together, for the great mission of our college, and the hope that we have in the future. I would be less than honest with you to say that, not to say that, that there's going to be challenges ahead, big challenges. But you know, there's not a challenge that's not bigger, that, that is bigger than our God. Not one challenge that we'll face that God is not bigger than. I'm, I'm really pleased with the selection of Dr. Sherwood, and we're already seeing uh, his involvement with the college and I, I trust that you will receive him and, and uh, encourage him and stand with him as he leads this college in the days ahead. We're positioned to continue our mission and we'll continue it with purpose because I know you folks will lead with care and conviction and commitment. So I pray for you and I'll think of you, but I can tell you that on June the 30th or July the 1st, I'll no longer be the president and I'm not going to be involved in any of the decisions that Dr. Sherwood chooses to make for the college. We're just going to support him and pray for him and believe in him as he gives leadership for 19 years. Amen. God bless each and every one of you. Uh, love you and thank God for you and trusting God for the future. Mm -hmm.